Our text is Matthew 4, the verses 12 through 17. Now, when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. After the sermon, let's sing together hymn 19, stanzas 1, 3, and 4. Hymn 19 is, is from Isaiah 9 in our text. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the new president of the United States is showing himself to be a very different man from his predecessor, Barack Obama, Donald Trump, two very different men. Donald Trump is saying a lot of different things and he's doing a lot of different things, as, as you know. And you wonder why. Is he just trying to distance himself from his predecessor and, and make his own name, you know, be his own man? Or does he really want change? You know, a classic example in history of trying to make a, a real change by, by doing something different is found in the 1300s when the Pope moved his residence from Rome to Avignon. He did that because it was a mess in Rome. It was just so evil and perverse. So, so make the papal residence in a completely different area, that signals a change. So you wonder what our Lord Jesus Christ was doing in our text when we read he's just starting his public ministry and he goes to Galilee and that's where he does most of his preaching, most of his healing and spends most of his time. What was he trying to change? What was he trying to do? Everybody knows that Jerusalem is the center of Israelite religion. Here's the temple, here's the priests, here's the sacrifices. So what is our Lord Jesus Christ doing? Going to Galilee of all places. Was he trying to distance himself with the establishment? Was he trying to show that he was different than that whole Old Testament, that whole sacrificial system? You know what? What our Lord Jesus Christ did was certainly a slap in the face to the high priest and the, and the priest there in Jerusalem. But that's because he wasn't trying to distance himself from the Old Testament but from how things had gone awry and rotten in Jerusalem. Jerusalem had become a swamp, and this swamp needed clearing. When our Lord Jesus Christ went to Galilee, he wasn't cutting himself off from the Old Testament, he was realigning himself with the gospel as it was meant to be. Not a message of you earned your salvation through good works, but we have a gracious God. We have a loving God. We, got, we have a God who saves us just because he wants to save us. And that, that, that transforms life. Our Lord Jesus Christ was standing shoulder to shoulder with, with Moses and David and Elijah and Isaiah. He wasn't changing just for the sake of change. 
He was making changes to bring things back to the way they were supposed to be. And then he was moving it forward. He was going to fulfill the entire Old Testament. We'll look at that this morning under this theme. Jesus Christ begins his ministry in Galilee. We'll see three things. Jesus makes a transition. Jesus fulfills prophecy. And Jesus begins the message. We read in the opening of our text, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Everybody knows why John the Baptist was in prison. Uh, The religious elite in Jerusalem and the political establishment, they were scared of John. They hated him. They thought he would would lead an uprising that would uh, overthrow the the traditions and, and maybe attract the attention of Rome and then the emperor would come storming in. So they arrested him and they threw him in jail. And it wasn't long and they chopped off his head. And now Jesus Christ, hearing about the imprisonment of John, he leaves for Galilee. And and people say, well, obviously he was scared. I mean, John the Baptist had said, I'm just just laying the way for the coming Christ. That's the man you want to pay attention to. And, And Jesus was about to start his public ministry. All attention would be on him. If you hung around Jerusalem, they go after him. They get a posse and get him. So like in an old Western, and Jesus headed for the hills, old hole in the wall, Galilee, an out of the way place. That's not what was happening. Our Lord Jesus Christ was not scared. He was never afraid. He freely went to Jerusalem. In John 10, we read he was there. They tried to kill him. They just walked away. He had nothing to fear. Then John 11, he says to his disciples, we're going back to Jerusalem. They said, they'll kill you. Jesus says, I'm going. He was not afraid. But he had a reason for going to Galilee. And in our second point, we will see that the one reason is that he is fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah. We'll get back to that in a few minutes. But our Lord Jesus Christ had a very special reason for going to Galilee. It was a deliberate move. That's where he would start preaching. That's where he would get his disciples. That's where he would start his healing. He would have his Sermon on the Mount. He would spend most of his time in Galilee. This was a transition by our Lord Jesus Christ from John to himself. Now, John the Baptist was very closely aligned with Jesus and he was preparing the way for him. But everything about John The way he dressed, the way he ate, where he lived by the Jordan in the wilderness, the way he preached, you would say is very anti-establishment. Everything about John pointed to the fact that what was in Jerusalem was wrong. They had corrupted religion. They weren't looking for a savior who would die for their sins. And so John was really clearly trying to bring the gospel back on the right track. But he also made clear I am not the one that you're looking for. I baptize with water. There's somebody's coming who's gonna baptize you with the fire and the spirit. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. And now when John is in prison, our Lord Jesus Christ comes into the limelight and he moves to Galilee. He's making the transition from the ministry of John to the ministry that, that he would carry out where he would baptize with fire and the spirit. Now at this point, brothers and sisters, to help you understand what 
our Lord Jesus Christ was doing in this transitioning. It'd be really wonderful if I had a map here and I don't. So I'll try to, to, to draw a map right here in front of you. So instead of looking at me, you're looking at a map, okay? And the land of Israel is a rectangular, kind of a long rectangular country. On the west, you're looking at the map here. On the west is the Mediterranean Sea. On the east is the Jordan River. They're parallel to each other. On the top of the Jordan is the Sea of Galilee. At the bottom is the Dead Sea. Now, the north and the south are quite different. The south is very mountainous and rocky. That's where Jerusalem is and Bethlehem and so on. The north, the, the land of Galilee, where the tribe of Zebulun and Naphtali are, this is fertile land. Had a lot more people in it. Uh, people were, were, were affluent. They were doing well. And it was a major trade route. People from all over the world passed through Galilee. It was a happening place. Someone once said, Judea is on the way to nowhere. Galilee is on the way to everywhere. The south was very rocky and hard to live in. The north was fertile and it was filled with people and people from all over the world were going through there. There's something else about Galilee. It's populated by pagans or Gentiles. In fact, Isaiah calls it the Galilee of the nations or the Galilee of the Gentiles. Part of that's because Zebulun and Naphtali never did a good job in driving out the Canaanites. So pagans had always lived there. In 722 BC, Tiglath-Pileser III of Assyria, he went there and took a whole bunch of Jews out of there forever. They never came back. And he, and he brought in a whole bunch of pagans. 100 years before the time of our Lord Jesus Christ, those pagans were forced to become Jews. They were forced to be circumcised. So you have there in Galilee a mixed bag. You have Jews who weren't very strong religiously. You had pagans who were forced to become Jews. And you had, had pagans from all over the world living there and passing through there. And our Lord Jesus Christ says, this is where I'm starting my public ministry. Do you see what's happening? Back in Jerusalem, religion had died. Basically, Jesus Christ says that the Jews are like sheep without a shepherd. They didn't want Jesus there. All they want to do is kill him, and eventually they did. They, they hung him on a cross. So our Lord Jesus Christ put his focus on Galilee, the raw frontier. Jews without a shepherd, pagans who had been forced to be circumcised. You know, Gentiles of every kind were, were living there. They were open to new ideas, and they were walking in darkness. It was a mixed bag. It was a mess up there. People didn't know what to believe and what to do. And Jesus Christ says, here, I can start the gospel and preach of a, of a God who loves, a God who gives his son to die for sinners. And that in him, life can be transformed to a new holiness, to live to the praise and the glory of God. We should appreciate this uh, situation 
of our Lord Jesus Christ transitioning to Galilee, brothers and sisters. And you might even want to ask yourself the question, who is more receptive today to the gospel? People like us who our whole life have been in the church and maybe our parents and grandparents as well? Or new people who come to the church? We look at the ministry of, of the Apostle Paul. Wherever he went, he always went to the Jewish synagogue first. And they tried to run him out of town. And the Gentiles, they loved what he preached and wanted to know of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Where the church is growing today, brothers and sisters, it's China, the Philippines, Africa. We need to realize that in our own lifetime, we may see missionaries coming from China or the Philippines to Edmonton to preach the gospel to people who walk in darkness. And in our own midst, sometimes it's the people who are new to the faith who come into the congregation who show an enthusiasm and zeal for God that impresses us, that amazes us. We ought to be thankful that the word of God is a, is a light that, that easily shines into the darkness of the world around us. But let us not forget that we have a treasure in our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's something that should excite us and thrill us every day of our lives. It brings us to our second point. We see that our Lord Jesus Christ doesn't just settle down in Galilee of the Gentiles. He also changes his home base from, Capernaum, or from Nazareth to Capernaum. Now you might think that has to do with what we read in Luke 4 where Nazareth rejected him and tried to kill him and, and ran him out of, out of town. But that, that's, that's not correct. Jesus Christ had already been working in Capernaum before that. Jesus Christ deliberately went from Nazareth to Capernaum because Capernaum is right on the Sea of Galilee. This is the heartland of Zebulun and Naphtali. And Matthew tells us that Jesus went there to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Now, it's very easy for us to, to read this and say, that's pretty neat. You know, it's, it's neat that it fulfills prophecy. That's kind of a coincidence. What does it really mean? We need to be really careful if that's how we read the New Testament, brothers and sisters, when it talks about prophecy, especially Matthew. Matthew quotes the Old Testament again and again, and he makes the point, this is the fulfillment of prophecy, and he wants you to pay attention. Starts in chapter one. When the angel came to Joseph... And said, Mary is with child. You are to give it the name Jesus. Then we read, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So right from the start, Matthew is, is, is setting a very, very clear agenda how to read his gospel. When I tell you this fulfills prophecy, you pay attention and you do two things. First of all, you go back to the Old Testament where you find it and try to understand the historical situation in which it was delivered. And then look forward to see how it's fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ. We'll do that right now. Verses 15 and 16 contain a quotation from Isaiah 9, verses 1 and 2. Admittedly, it's not a 
perfect quotation, our Lord Jesus Christ seems to quote it fairly loosely, trying to, to make a very clear message out of it for the people then. But Isaiah 9 is in what we could call a very Christmassy section of the Bible. You all know this, Isaiah 7 through 9. This is, this is that part of Isaiah which says, a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call him Emmanuel. And his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So this whole section of Isaiah is very much a prophecy of the coming Christ. He is Emmanuel, God with us. But as Isaiah was writing this to his people, he was warning them that they were about to be hit hard by persecution. Assyria was coming. So when we read in Isaiah 9 or in Matthew 4 about gloom and humbling the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, people walking in darkness and those living in the land of the shadow of death, that's not just, you know, poetic language. This is reality. What Assyria was going to do, particularly in Galilee, is horrible. Women would see their, their husbands and their fathers killed before their eyes. Women would be raped. Babies would be dashed against the rocks. Whatever we're reading today about ISIS in, in Syria and Iraq, that's the kind of stuff that was going to happen there. It was absolute murder and mayhem and unspeakable horrors that God's people would endure. But even worse than this physical part is the spiritual part. I mean, the whole point of the book of Isaiah, if you go to chapter one, is that God is so upset with his people because of their unbelief and their idols and their, their wicked way of living. And he said, I'm gonna punish you. Isaiah is about people being punished. Whatever Assyria would do there in Zebulun and Naphtali, they deserved it and God was punishing them. But this is a, a covenant God and a gracious God who says, but I also give you hope. And what is your hope? Your hope is that a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and give him the name Emmanuel. He will be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Your hope, Israel, Galilee of the nations, Zebulon and Naphtali, your hope is that the Messiah is coming, who will deliver you, who will once again let the light shine in darkness. This is what's being fulfilled as Jesus Christ begins his ministry in that very area where Assyria had done this horrible damage and where there was so much sin. Broadly speaking, Israel was a mess because Jerusalem left the people shepherdless no gospel. More specifically in Galilee, this was a place of superficiality of Jews who didn't want to be Jews and of pagans of every kind. This is where our Lord Jesus Christ came. And as we sang together in hymn 81, he brought joy. He brought light. He brought vision. He showed people that their sins could be forgiven. 
He showed people that that life can be filled with joy, a, a relationship with God. Life can be transformed. Marriage, family, your work, everything that you do transformed just because you know Jesus and have believed in him as Lord and Savior. To those people living in darkness, they have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadows of death, a light has dawned. That reminds us of how John, the, the, the disciple apostle, began his letter when he said, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And what is that light? Well, John explains, yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or husband's will, but born of God. That's true light. What draws people out of darkness is to believe in Jesus Christ and be drawn into the light where we are adopted as sons and daughters of the living God. What's beautiful, and it's why we read all of, of Matthew 4, is that after our Lord Jesus Christ starts his ministry there and calls his disciples, he also began to heal. He, he healed the sick. He drove out demons. He would even raise the dead. Truly, light had dawned for people who once walked in darkness. That brings us to our final point, the closing line of our text. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. You will notice that's exactly the same message that John the Baptist gave. Why should we be surprised about that? The gospel is timeless and it doesn't change, it doesn't adapt. The message is always the same. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus would say nothing less than John. At the same time, he would say so much more. John did say, he's the one. And he's the one who will baptize you with fire and the spirit. And as Jesus Christ begins his ministry, he preaches, he heals, he dies on the cross, rises from the dead, ascends into heaven, and pours out his Holy Spirit. What he shows is the kingdom isn't just near, but it's here. The kingdom is here in the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is able to wash people in his blood and wash them by his spirit so they become obedient, meaningful citizens in the kingdom of God. To get into the kingdom, you need to be washed in the blood and spirit of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus Christ, like John, called on people to repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. It's very important to know this. In Greek, the word repent in, in this passage is metanoia, and it means to change your mind. It is a changing of your mind. And if I were to try to look for an example in the Bible that would, would best describe what it is to repent or to change your mind, I, I think of that parable of Jesus in Luke 18 of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector who went to pray in the temple. And we read there, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up into heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. 
That's repentance. Repentance is to say, I am sick and tired of my dark and gloomy and meaningful life. I'm sick and tired of my sins, how I treat myself and how I treat the people around me. I'm done. I want to be free. I want Jesus. I want to be washed in his blood and born again through the power of his spirit. That's repentance. That's a change of mind. It's not just some intellectual academic thing, but it's a matter of the heart and say, Lord, I am done with sin. I want to be free from that. That's the only way you can get into the kingdom of heaven. It's only logical. You're in the kingdom of heaven when you want to be free from sin and to live to the praise and the glory of God. And that requires repentance, a complete change of mind. Sin's got to end and I got to live my life to the praise and the glory of God. In Galilee, Jesus Christ truly met people who walked in darkness. You had pagans who were forced to become Jews and they realized that they were closer to hell than they ever dreamed was imaginable. You had many generation Jews who were like sheep without a shepherd and yet all kinds of pagans and Gentiles passing through and working there and living there. And to them, Jesus Christ brought the gospel that life doesn't have to be this way. Sins can be forgiven. Life can be transformed. Just believe in me. Jesus once said that. When somebody said, what must I do? He said, just believe. You don't earn it. You don't do something. Just believe in me. Just want me. You know, brothers and sisters, three years after this moment, our Lord Jesus Christ was in heaven and he poured out his spirit on Pentecost and the gospel has taken off and it is spreading through the entire world. We sit here in Canada. We realize we're not just a post-Christian nation. We're not Christian at all anymore. It's not a Christian nation. But we see that in China, tens of millions of, of people regularly coming to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And that is absolutely wonderful that Jesus Christ goes to the raw frontier to people walking in darkness, brings the gospel to them, and they believe and enter the kingdom of heaven. Perhaps as we hear that, we, we say to ourselves, you know, it has been a while since I, I really felt that I wanted to, to listen to God's word. And, and that preaching touched me. And it, it changed me for, for the week ahead. Perhaps our Bible reading and our, and our prayers have become flat. Perhaps we have settled into gloom, into darkness. My heart is so cold. My soul is frozen. I just don't live in that joy of knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's not because Jesus Christ is ignoring you. He didn't go to Jerusalem. He didn't seek out the, the religious elite. He went to the Gentiles of the nations and he stopped. He did not walk past the beggar or the tax collector or the prostitute. He doesn't walk by you or, or, or me either. He doesn't walk by us. He stops and he looks at us 
And he calls us to know him, to believe in him, to genuinely repent that we're not in the gloom, that our soul is not frozen, but that we are living in the joy of salvation with our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.